Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Northminster this morning, whether you're joining us in person or online. We are so glad to have you with us today. As we begin this morning, I have a few announcements for you. The first is to say a special word of welcome to anyone visiting with us. We're particularly glad that you are here and hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service this morning, including communion. Uh, you'll find instructions for that if you are new here in our order of worship. Um, and just follow somebody who looks like they know what they're doing and they'll lead you the right way. Uh, I also want to say thank you to those who put together the beautiful flowers this morning. All, we always have beautiful flowers, of course. And encourage you to take some of those blooms with you after our service to brighten yours or someone else's day. A couple of reminders about some upcoming events. Uh, this evening we are having our Halloween gathering. Well, this evening, this afternoon at 4 p.m. And this is for everybody, uh, parents, kids, just a, an adult who wants to come and have some fun. Um, my husband is already in his costume, so he is setting the example. So I hope all of you will come in your costumes later this evening. Uh, again, not just for the kids. We have some um, awards for most creative costume, that sort of thing. We're also going to offer uh, hot dogs and some drinks. Um, actually, excuse me, you need to bring your own drinks. Let me correct myself. So come and have a hot dog, bring a drink for you and your family, bring a dessert, we're gonna have a good time. And even if we have to move inside, no big deal, it's gonna be a fun evening that starts at four o'clock. Uh, and for those of you who are new members or are interested in joining Northminster, next Sunday is our new members and inquirers class. That is gonna be right after worship. We would ask that you sign up for that today if you can um, because we need to have an accurate head count because we will be providing lunch for that event. So there's a sign up list on the table right outside of my office. Do please stop and sign up for that today. Also, as you look at your order of worship today, a couple of things I would like for you to take note of. Again, for the kids, um, please go ahead and come up during that last verse of the first hymn, that is the right place to do that if you wanna come up for the children's message. A little bit different today. I'm uh, a bit under the weather. Um, I think it's just a sinus infection, but I'm gonna keep my distance from you because I don't wanna take the chance of getting anybody sick. So I want you to go ahead and come up, sit on the stairs, face the pulpit, and I will do the children's message from the pulpit so that we can still have that time together. Then when we get to communion, Debbie has uh, delightfully offered to help me, so I am not touching the elements that you will then consume, so Debbie will be helping with communion. All right, I think that is everything. So what I'm going to ask you to do, oh, one last thing, I did forget something. Today is All Saints Day. You will notice there are placards on our communion table with names on them. Those are our friends and loved ones who have passed away this year so far, since this time last year. And you will see in our order of worship, there is a note for a time of remembrance. When we get to that point, we're going to take a few minutes to remember um, those who have gone this year and also all of those loved ones who were no longer with us in years before. So we will uh, light candles for them and for all of our loved ones uh, in just a bit during our service. Now I'm going to ask that we take a deep breath together. And we take this deep breath to settle ourselves, to let our bodies and our minds and our hearts all catch up with each other. Because this time that we have together is precious and it is short. So take a deep breath. 
breathe in the joy and the quiet and just the fun of being in this good place. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out those things that you carried with you into worship as best you can. And then let us worship God together by joining in our call to worship. Please join me. Let us worship the triune God. Let us worship the triune God. Let us worship the triune God. Let us worship God.
Good morning. I'm going to have to get up on my tiptoes to see all of you. Um, there's a small flaw in my plan. Could we have an adult just come sit with these lovely young people just to make sure? Beth, excellent. Thank you. Just to forestall any issues. I appreciate that. So, yeah, I'm going to need you to look at me over here. Focus on me over here. All right. So, you heard me say a minute ago that today is All Saints Sunday. This is a day we remember all the believers in the family of God who have gone before us, like Peter and Paul and people from the Old Testament, like Deborah. We read about these people in the Bible. Um, we read about disciples of Jesus, right? You guys have heard of Jesus and disciples? Yes. But I wanted to show you something first that also kind of feeds into this idea of an All Saints Day. This is a picture that I keep in my office. And I know I'm kind of far away, but can you all see that? Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody have any guesses who that might be? Who do you think? No, not my children. I am in the picture. Anybody have any guesses? Yeah, I'm the little one with the bangs right there in the front. <laughs> These? Oh, you're close. I don't have any siblings. These are some of my cousins. Yeah, these are my cousins. So the tall girl in the red, that's my cousin Whitney. Um, can't really see her. She's kind of squished in the back right there. That's my cousin Catherine. And then the little girl in the front in the yellow is my cousin Brittany. Now, we're all married now. We all live all over the country. Uh, we all have kids. We all have our own lives. But I love this picture because it reminds me of a very special Thanksgiving we all spent together and got to play together and spend time together. And I still have really good memories of it. Now, I'm hoping you're familiar with these. Maybe not. But if I took this picture and I put it, put it in a book, do you all know what that book would be called? Do you all have those at your houses? What are they called, Connor? Picture. Yeah, a picture book, a photo album. <laughs> they aren't as popular anymore as they used to be because we don't usually print pictures so much anymore, right? Where are most of our pictures? We're on our phones. Most of our pictures are on our phones. And in our hearts, that's a good answer. <laughs> now let me show you something else. Hang on, I'm grab it. What is this? It's a Bible. How is this like a photo album? What do you think? You have an idea? Us about different people in the Bible that we wouldn't know otherwise. It helps us remember people in the Bible. It helps us remember stories, like stories that all of the adults heard when they were your age that they don't remember, and neither do I. It helps us remember, just like a photo album does. This is a little bit like a church directory, which is something that we all have. But why are these people important? Why are the people in our church directory important? Why do you think they're important, Ricky? Okay. Yeah, what do you think? Why are they important? Because they're people. That's a really good reason, right. 
So one of the things that we talk about at church are people who are saints. Now that means different things in different kinds of churches, but here at our church, all that really means is that saints are people who are special, who've been set apart, who have a special job. And in a sense, we're all saints. We're all special. We all have a special job to do. Um, but there are people who are especially special, who help us learn when we're little, who help us grow, who do all sorts of wonderful things for us. And that's why we remember them. That's why we take a day to remember all of those people who help us become who we are. So that's the point of the day today. And that's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about those people in your life who are saints, who teach you, who help you be better people, who help you learn things, okay? Think about that this week. So here's what we're gonna do next. I want you to turn around, face the adults. You are leading this. You can ask me after worship. So you're gonna be nice and loud, hands in your laps. We're not gonna touch each other. Excellent, thank you. I will say the first line, you say it back to me. Nice and loud, and adult, you are welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. reading from Hebrews chapter 12. So since we stand surrounded by all those who have gone before, an enormous cloud of witnesses, let us drop every extra weight, every sin that clings to us and slackens our pace, 
and let us run with endurance the long race set before us. Now stay focused on Jesus, who designed and perfected our faith. He endured the cross and ignored the shame of that death because he focused on the joy that was set before him. And now he is seated beside God on the throne, a place of honor. Consider the life of the one who endured such personal attacks and hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Among you, in your striving against sin, none has resisted the pressure to the point of death as Jesus did. Indeed, you seem to have forgotten the proverb directed to you as children. My child, do not ignore the instruction that comes from the Lord or lose heart when he steps in to correct you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he corrects each one he takes as his own. Endure hardship as God's dis discipline and rejoice that you are treated as children of God. For what child doesn't experience discipline from a parent? But if you're not experiencing the correction that all true children receive, that it may be that you are not God's children after all. Remember, when our human parents disciplined us, we respected them. If that was true, shouldn't we respect and live under the correction of the Eternal One even more? Our parents corrected us for a time as seemed good to them, but God only corrects us to our good so that we may share in all holiness. When punishment is happening, it never seems pleasant, only painful. Later, though, it yields the peaceful fruit called righteousness to everyone who has been trained by it. So lift up your hands that are dangling and brace your weakened knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame in you won't be put out of joint but will heal. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness since no one will see God without it. Watch carefully that no one falls short of God's favor, that no well of bitterness springs up to trouble you and throw many others off the path. A reminder of the great cloud of witnesses. Thanks be to God. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will On a mountain, my Lord spoke. Out of his mouth came fine smoke. Jordan River, chilly and cold. Cheered the body, but not the soul. Oh, every time I feel the spirit moving. Oh, dear. 
train run this track It runs to heaven and runs right back Oh, every time I feel the Spirit Moving in my heart I will pray Every time I feel the Spirit Moving in my heart the saints who trust God's power and loving care for they are part of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the saints when they are sad because the world is so unfair. They have God's promise that justice will come. Blessed are the nobodies who know they are nobodies and still do God's work. In God's world they are the leaders. Blessed are the saints whose greatest wish is to do what God desires. God will give them what they want. Blessed are the saints who treat other people gently. God will treat them gently. Blessed are the saints who get in trouble when they do what God requires, for they are surely among God's saints. As we come to this time of remembrance, let us give thanks to God for all the saints of our lives and the witness they have shared with us. As we remember these saints, let us praise the one who created all of us with the ability to love each other so much we miss the ones we love when they are gone. Let us praise the one who created those who are on our hearts and minds this morning. Let us praise the one who knows we need people to walk beside us in life, if only for a short time, because we are at our best when we are loving others. So we lift up and light a candle for those special souls who returned to the heart of God this year. Anna Ham. Ava Pugh. Christopher Tubbs. And Frida Bryan. We also light a candle for those we love who have returned to God in years past, recognizing that grief has no real end date while also rejoicing that love doesn't either.
May we remember and be guided by the good witness of the saints who form the great cloud of witnesses around us this morning and every morning. Amen. And now hear this scripture reading from 1 Kings chapter 18. And I will warn you ahead of time, I am reading this one because it is a touch long. Uh, That's a challenge, especially for those of us who are not auditory learners, um, which I am not, so I sympathize with you. But this is one of those stories that if you only read part of it, it doesn't make much sense. So, deep breath, here we go. The moment Ahab saw Elijah, he said, So it's you, you old troublemaker. It is not I who has caused trouble in Israel, said Elijah, but you and your government. You've dumped God's ways and commands and run off after local gods, the Baals. Here's what I want you to do. Assemble everyone in Israel at Mount Carmel and make sure that the special pets of Jezebel, the 450 prophets of the local gods, the Baals, and the 400 prophets of the goddess Asherah are there. And so Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets, to Mount Carmel. Elijah, the prophet, then challenged the people. How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow God. If it is Baal, follow Baal, but make up your minds. Nobody said a word. Nobody made a move. Then Elijah the prophet said, I am the only prophet of God left in Israel, and there are 450 prophets of Baal. Let the Baal prophets bring up two oxen. Let them then pick one, butcher it, and lay it out on an altar of firewood, but don't ignite it. I'll take the other ox, cut it up, and lay it on the wood, but neither will I light a fire. Then you pray to your gods, and I'll pray to the God. The God who answers with fire will prove to be, in fact, God. All the people agreed, a good plan, let's do it. Elijah then told the Baal prophets, choose your ox and prepare it. You go first, you're in the majority. Then pray to your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the ox and he had given them, they prepared it, they put it on the altar, and then they prayed to Baal. They prayed all morning long. Oh, Baal, answer us. But nothing happened. Not so much as a whisper of breeze. Desperately, they jumped and stomped on the altar they had made. By noon, Elijah had started making fun of them, taunting. Call a little louder. He is God, after all. Maybe he's gone off meditating somewhere or the other. Maybe he's gotten involved in a project, or maybe he's on vacation. You don't suppose he overslept, do you? Maybe he needs to be woken up. So the Baal priests prayed louder and louder, cutting themselves with swords and knives, a ritual common to them, until they were covered with blood. This went on well past noon. They made use of every religious trick and strategy they knew to make something happen on the altar, but nothing happened. Not so much as a whisper, not a flicker of a response. Then Elijah told the people, enough of that, it's my turn. Gather round. And they gathered. He then put the altar back together, for by now it was in ruins. And he took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes of Jacob, the same Jacob to whom God had said, from now on your name is Israel. 
He built the stones into the altar in honor of God. Then he dug a pretty wide trench around the altar. He laid firewood on it. He cut up the ox. He put on the wood and he said, fill four buckets with water and drench the ox and the firewood. Then he said, do it again. And they did it again. And then Elijah said, do it a third time. And they drenched that oxen and the altar with water for a third time. The altar was drenched, and the trench around it was filled with water. When it was time for the sacrifice to be offered, Elijah the prophet came up and prayed, O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I am doing what I am doing under your orders. Answer me, God. Oh, answer me and reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you are giving these people another chance at repentance. Immediately the fire fell, and God burned up the offering, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. All the people saw it happen and fell on their faces in awed worship, exclaiming, God is the true God. God is the true God. Elijah told them, grab the Baal prophets, don't let even one of them get away. So they grabbed them. Elijah had the prophets taken down to the brook of Kishon, and they massacred the lot. Elijah then said to Ahab, up on your feet, eat and drink, celebrate. Rain is on the way, I hear it coming. My friends, this is a complex story that makes us consider the presence of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. Now, having heard that text, I think you will understand when I say that I struggled with these verses this week. I tried for days to think of a title other than I got nothing, uh, which was kind of my working title until about Thursday. I had a bad taste in my mouth all week, and not just about the people we're not supposed to like in this story, but about Elisha and this whole contest that the scholar Walter Brueggemann admits reads like a showdown between neighborhood bullies and that revolves around a raw show of power. Elijah's easy killing of hundreds of people in the last verse of this reading is particularly hard to stomach, even if that's exactly the fate he would have suffered if Yahweh hadn't come through for him. I even had my mom read this story, sure that her lifetime uh, of church membership and having a father who was a pastor, certain she would have heard it before. And her response, I think, exemplified how we're all feeling about these verses. She was pretty succinct. Uh, her response back to me was, yuck. <laughs> this is not the loving, compassionate God that we usually talk about and that I believe in. This God is just scary. And my mom isn't alone in that assessment. I'm wondering if some of you might feel that way. 
And several other pastors I know felt the same way. I'm part of multiple online groups who use the same lectionary. So they are also preaching this text this morning. And at least half of my colleagues just bailed. They, they didn't know what to do. They said, I'm picking something else. It's all Saint Sunday. I'll preach on that. And I seriously considered it. I seriously thought about it. Except that one of the podcasts that I listened to, and I listened to multiple during the week, talked about Elisha bearing witness, which I think is at the core of All Saints Day. Now, Elisha is a rough, rough character, totally outside of courtly, less abrasive prophets like Nathan, if you remember Nathan from King David's story. In many ways, the ministry of John the Baptist carries distinct echoes of Elisha's practice of resistance. And again, as Walter Brueggemann notes, Elisha and then John, much later after him, are extreme cases, to be sure. In their extremity, however, they embody disengagement, resistance, and alternative as a mark of faith that yields transformative power. Let me say that again. There's a lot of words. Elisha and John after him are extreme cases to be sure, but in their extremity, they embody disengagement, resistance, and an alternative as a mark of faith that yields transformative power. So let's unpack this text. It begins with King Ahab accusing Elisha of being the troubler of Israel. For Elisha blames, excuse me, Ahab blames Elisha for Israel's now three-year drought. In response, Elisha bluntly says to the king, it's not I who have caused trouble in Israel, but you and your government. You've dumped God's ways and commands and run off after local gods, the Baals. Elisha then challenges Ahab with a contest between Yahweh and Baal. That takes up most of this text. And in doing so, he sets himself in opposition to 450 prophets of the god Baal and 400 prophets of the goddess Asherah. The test is to see which god will engulf a bull in flames first. So after prepping their bull, the prophets pray to Baal, but nothing happens. They jump, they stomp on the altar, nothing happens. Getting desperate and likely feeling harried from uh, Elisha's sarcastic taunting, told you he's not a typical prophet, the prophets pray louder and louder, cutting themselves with swords and knives, which was common ritual for them, to the point that they are covered in blood, according to the text. This goes on for hours with the Baal prophets using every ritual they have, every trick in their book to make something happen, but nothing does. Baal is absent, silent, indifferent, unresponsive, uncaring, unwilling to answer. His devotees are abandoned and on their own. Elijah then has the people gather around him and builds an altar with 12 symbolic stones and has the people douse the altar and the bull three times. Are you noticing these holy numbers? Three, 12, repeated again and again. 
Altar completely water-sodden, Elijah then calls on the Lord, praying a prayer laced with Genesis ancestors that is formal and solemn, congruent with the urgency of the moment. His credibility is on the line here for Elisha and for Yahweh. So the prophet can't help but feel vindicated when immediately the fire of God descends, falls, burns up the wood, the stones, the dirt, the ox, and even the water in the trench. From this, the people see that there is only one God, and they fall on their faces in praise of Yahweh. Now our reading ends with Elijah ordering all of the Baal prophets to be captured and killed. And as you heard from the message translation, they massacred the lot. The best All Saints Day sermon I've ever heard was from a pastor you know, Dr. James Lampkin. He was the pastor at Northminster, excuse me, uh, Northside Drive Baptist Church in Atlanta while I was in seminary. That's where I attended and was a member. And having been there at that point for several decades, Dr. Lampkin wove his institutional memory with his knowledge of the congregation and described being able to look up in the balcony of the sanctuary and see all of these saints of Northside Drive who had passed. Um, their church is beautiful. It's kind of octagonal shaped and has this big balcony up in the back. And as he spoke, he didn't look at any of us. There was nobody in the balcony. He was preaching to these people like they were sitting in the balcony. And he shared memories. He told stories. He was even honest with some of them who, while they were living, uh, had been pastoral care challenges. <laughs> and despite not knowing a single person he mentioned, I'd only been there about a year, Dr. Lampkin's descriptions were so complete, I had a sense of each and every one of those saints that he talked to up in the balcony. Several times during the sermon, he was so overcome with emotion, he had to stop. He had to take a minute. And seeing him so moved was a beautiful testament to the power of memory and bearing witness. Because that's what he was doing on that All Saints Day morning, when the line between this world and the next felt impossibly thin. Dr. Lampkin was bearing witness. Witness to church members who challenged him, church members who fed him at every opportunity, grumpy church members who came across as intimidating, but were the first to offer comfort when a child fell and scraped their knee. He was even bearing witness for those church members who pushed and challenged him when he didn't want to be pushed or challenged. He paid tribute to them all, and it was beautiful and tender and holy. That beauty and tenderness does not <laughs> translate to this morning's story. But in his crusty, brash sort of way, Elisha is also a bearing witness. No matter how we feel about his behavior, quite a bit of which is inexplicable. The reality of his situation is that he is standing up to the new national cult. Israel has moved so far into worshiping Baal and Asherah that it has become 
ubiquitous. It's what everybody does. This is the new normal. No one seems willing to point out is kind of ridiculous. It's kind of ridiculous to worship a god of rain who has now allowed Israel to be in a three-year drought. It's kind of ridiculous to praise and worship a god who asks you to harm yourself, or as we can see if you go back and read previous chapters, a goddess, Asherah, who expects the sacrifice of children. Elijah is the lone voice trying with cheeky irreverence, let's call it, to turn the people back to Yahweh. He calls the bluff of, the, of King Ahab and Baal's prophets, and though I think we can unequivocally condemn his easy murder of hundreds of people, what this story forces us to admit is that warts and all, Elijah is part of a long line of the faithful calling both the Israelites and us back to God. For that, my friends, is the good news this morning. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who call us to the very heart of God. People of every generation, both with us and who have gone before us, who bear witness to the goodness of being faithful to the Lord. Now, let's be honest, we can admit that sometimes the saints and witnesses share a bit of Elijah's bluntness. Sometimes we need those parental figures who will say some version of, we are leaving for church in 10 minutes if your hair is done or not. We need Sunday school teachers who lovingly tell our children to stop talking and pay attention. We need fellow church members who respectfully challenge us in group conversations to be more thoughtful or to even rethink our long-held positions. We need that longtime church friend who can come up and put an arm around you and say, I see that you're hurting. Let me help you. And when we boil down all of the details, bearing witness and calling each other back to God, which is something each of us is capable of doing, that's being the church. After all, what if is the church if not a group of people, the body of Christ, gathered to worship and embody God in the world? So take a moment, if you would, and look around this room. Really do it. I, I can see all of you. Look around the room. Thank you. Even if you didn't grow up here, see those who've come before you and taught you the stories of Jesus. Hear the voices of those who've made you love music and who raised you singing. Remember the mentors who believed in you and helped you grow. Give thanks for the parents and family and loved ones who gave you identity and brought you, whatever the path was, to this place where you can find your identity in Christ. Grieve those gone too soon and those we still miss. Feel the push and pull of the saints who continue to bear witness and call us back and back and back again to God. And then hear these precious words. This is from uh, the Jubilee Hymn. 
It was a hymn at my last church that was especially precious because it was written by the hymn writer Robert Lowry. I've mentioned him and his role at that church before. He was their pastor. A song of his you probably know is Shall We Gather at the River? But for their 50th anniversary, uh, Robert Lowry wrote a special hymn just for that church. They sing it every communion Sunday. It is particularly precious. Those who've been there for years know the words without having to look at them. And this is the third verse. Here we were called the loved and blessed, who now have entered into rest. We take the work that they lay down and hope with them to wear a crown. I can't think of anything more appropriate for this All Saints Day. To the sea and the sea stood still. Now ain't that a witness for my Lord? Ain't that a witness for my Lord? Ain't that a witness for my Lord? My soul is a witness for my Lord. Now there was a man from the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus and he didn't believe. The same came to Christ by night, wanted to be taught out of human sight. Nicodemus was a man desired to know how a man could be born when he is old. Christ told Nicodemus as a friend, man, you must be born again. Said, marvel not man if you want to be wise. Repent, believe, then be baptized. Then you'll be a witness for my Lord. You'll be a witness for my Lord. You'll be a witness for my Lord. Soul is a witness for my Lord. You read about Samson from his birth, the strongest man that ever lived on earth. Way back yonder in ancient times, he killed 10,000 of the Philistines. Then old Samson went wandering about. Samson's strength was never found out. Till his wife sat upon his knee, she said, Tell me where your strength lies, if you please. Samson's wife, she talked so fair. Samson said, cut off of my hair. Shave my hand just as clean as your hand. And my strength will come like a natural man. Oh, Samson was a witness for my Lord. Samson was a witness for my Lord. Samson was a witness for my Lord. Soul is a witness for my Lord. There's another witness. Now there's another witness. There's another witness. My soul is a witness for my Lord. My soul is. 
Next time I'm just going to let the choral scholar sing. I'm not going to preach. That's <laughs> beautiful. Thank you both. Wonderful. As we come to this time of communion, let us recognize the people of faith that gather around tables just like this one in places near and far. They're sharing sourdough, rye, tortillas, crackers, wafers, and even Wonder Bread, all of which <laughs> represent the body of Christ. They're drinking wine or juice from handmade chalices and silver goblets, a common cup, a golden spoon, and plastic mini cups, all of which represent the cup of Christ's new covenant. The bread and the cup unite all of us who would follow Christ. This meal reaches back centuries. This table has infinite leaves and chairs, and there is so much room that you can bring your doubts, your hopes, your inadequacies, your strengths, your joys, your grief. So come to this table where all are worthy and all are welcome. It is at this table that Creator, Christ, and Spirit dance as one so may it always be. Now would you please join me in the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night that he was handed over, while at supper with his friends, Christ gave us a pledge of love that does not go away with death. On that evening, he took bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, all of you. This is my body, surrendered for you. Then when supper was over, he took a cup. He filled it with wine. And he gave thanks for it, and he shared it with them, saying, Take and drink, all of you. This is the seal of the new covenant, my poured-out life. I will drink this cup with you again at the table of God's joy in the new day that is coming. And whenever you do these things, remember me.
face to 